Hi, this is Kylie, and you're listening to episode 39 of Fix Her Up. If this is your first time listening to me, thank you. A word to the wise, though. You might want to go back and listen to episodes 35 and 36. This one is along the same vein as those two. It's kind of along the same vein as the last one as well, but this one is more directly related to 35 and 36. Where did that phrase come from along the same vein? Did it come from somewhere? I'm going to go look it up. Like, I'm always interested in that kind of stuff. Okay, let's see. No, it says it's exactly as it sounds. It means along the same line. That was easy. Anyways, this one has the same cast of characters as 35 and 36, including myself. And yes, I can be a character for sure. I think we're all characters in one form or another. If you've listened to other episodes and have come back again, thank you. I hope that you're here for these updates on my mom. There are several. I honestly don't know where to start on this one. So much has happened and changed and morphed since her care meeting, which was like two months ago, I think. So at first I feel like stuff changed almost daily. Now it's slowed down to about weekly, which I'm totally down for. I'm, I'm down for the slowdown because it was a lot. Some of the stuff that's happened since then has been like big spill variety. Well, other stuff has been small spill variety with no major issues. Then again, I'm not exactly sure that's correct either because the last little small spill definitely changed some things for her. I don't know. I guess I haven't really thought about it that much. I kind of was just thinking about the why why things keep happening, not thinking about what does it mean that it keeps happening. But I think we'll get there. Okay, so the big spell. She fell. She broke some big bones. I like to think it taught her a little bit of a lesson because she wasn't supposed to be doing certain things. And I kept going, are you okay? Are you sure you can do that? Oh, yeah, I'm okay. I'm okay. And and she wasn't. So it's kind of scary. I didn't watch it, but she's stubborn. You know, I think a lot of people get to be stubborn, especially when they get to be older. I'm stubborn now and I'm not even that old. Anyways, from what I've been told, the surgeon at Rush Copley lectured her and my sister for being what I refer to as a frequent flyer. You know, she was in and out of the hospital quite a bit. And the surgeon was pissed. My sister told me that she's never been lectured like that before. I feel like she probably doesn't really listen that much. So she's probably been lectured like that before. (laughs) Anyways, once again, my mom is providing the perfect example for me of what not to do. At least the big spill bought us some more time to figure things out. You know, I'm trying to look at the positive there. And by us, I mean me, mostly me, not just me, but mostly me. However, the big spill did lead to a scary moment, though. I guess part of the doctor's lecture was discussing options to fix the broken bones and what would work best for my mom. And I think the doc was worst case scenarioing everything to her. And one of the outcomes was something about losing her leg. 
this put her over the edge and no doubt totally warranted. So she calls me and starts going over her list of demands as if the worst case scenario was a sure thing. She also thrives off of attention and our emotional reactions. So, I mean, no joke. I really think she feeds off of that stuff. But this particular day, it did not work for me. I instantly shut that shit down and simply said, let's deal with that if we need to when it actually happens. No way was I entertaining going down the, oh my God, reaction rabbit hole. I did bring it up later to my brother, though. Thankfully, he quick, quickly reminded me that this is the same woman who was going blind in the 90s, was going to lose her thumb if we didn't pay for some surgery on it, also in the 90s. I think the 90s was a bad decade for her. Made us jump through every sort of hoop as a form of emotional manipulation or maybe desperation. Or I don't know, that's kind of sad, you know? So... So was my quick boundary a sign that I'm getting better at identifying her emotional tactics? Or was it because I was about to walk into a dental appointment to deal with my own messed up painful tooth? I thought maybe I was grinding my teeth in my sleep because there was a ton of pain and the stress of all this mom stuff. Grinding teeth seems like something I would just pick up. You know, I mean, it's logical. Nope, I needed a root canal which set me off on a month-long adventure of dentists and specialists and new dentists and getting charged for consultations. I mean, I'm sorry. That makes no sense to me. Why would somebody charge for a consultation? Isn't that kind of the point to see what you'd have to do and discuss it? You know, two offices in Lincoln Park were charging for consultations, and it wasn't like a small charge. One of them was like 300 and the other was 400 I mean, that's just asinine. <laughs> Anyways, it was a little circle of hell for me. Here I am again, Dante's Inferno. <laughs> Listen to me, I'm totally digressing. <laughs> Don't forget, this episode is along the same vein as those other two. <laughs> What do you think? Quickly identifying my boundaries or more focused on my own pain enough to draw the line? Then again, does it even matter? I don't know. I'm taking it as a win. As I mentioned, the big spill gave us more time to figure things out for Linda. And in a weird way, I felt like it was a tiny break. She was in the hospital, so I didn't have to drag myself out there for at least a week. She was being cared for by hospital staff, and then she'd be sent back to rehab for at least six weeks until she could walk again on her own. Not going to lie, I was relieved. Normally, if given more time to figure something out, I'd utilize that time wisely and get a jump on stuff. That's just how I operate, right? But I was having such a huge mental block in dealing with some of this stuff for her. Why? I don't know why. At this point, all I had to do was open up emails and start making phone calls to inquire about waiting lists for someone needing supportive living. Apparently, this is different than assisted living, by the way. So that you know the difference, assisted living is actually private pay, and at her location in Aurora, it was $7,000 a month. $7,000 a month. I mean, that's crazy. That's insane. 
Anyways, all I had to do was open up these emails and make phone calls. I do that stuff in my sleep all day long at work. Easy peasy, right? So why wasn't I doing it here when I really needed to get it done? Was I too tired? Was I stressed out? I mean, yes, I was tired and yes, I was stressed out. But was I hoping that someone would step up and take it off my plate? In the back of my head, was I kind of hoping that my mom would finally just pass away? All of the above. And that's okay. To be honest, I didn't beat myself up that much about it. I took the break as a win. Okay, so let's fast forward a few weeks. We waded through the muck of figuring out how to get the mail key back from my sister, which was a nightmare, and also figured out that my sister wasn't stealing from my mom, which is a plus. There was speculation there, but it looks like that wasn't true. Good thing, too, because that would have put me over the edge, like way over the edge. I would have lost my shit. Anyways, the same day that we figured that part out, I had a long chat with Linda about signing a DNR form and an advanced directive form, a.k.a. medical power of attorney. Have you ever needed to have those conversations with your parents? Those are hard conversations. No matter what your relationship is with your parent, it's a hard topic. Like she doesn't want to be artificially kept alive, which I can totally understand. The DNR form wasn't that bad. But when you get to the power of attorney, you know, I carefully went over that one with her and what it all means. Again, she doesn't want to be kept alive if it's her time to go. So with that in mind, we went down the list of kids and who she should name. The two oldest boys don't really count because they're not physically close, right? My brother in Cleveland was deemed not a good fit because we thought he's too far and he's also more religious than she is. So we thought that he might vote live. You know, if there was a vote, I I guess that's what it is. My sister was deemed not a good fit because A, she's often drunk. B, she often doesn't bother answering the phone. And C, she's having a really hard time dealing with my mom's stuff now when my mom isn't close to passing away yet. So that leaves me, right? Yay, I won. Yay. So thrilled. I looked at her and said, I'm not asking you to pick me, but if your goal is to not be kept alive artificially in some place where you're 100% dependent on someone else, I'm your man. I will let you die. And she looked to me dead on, no pun intended, and said, I know you will. That was a heavy moment, and I cried a tear. I really did. But I left there with some forms semi-filled out. We only needed to figure out how to finish them, and if one of them needed to be notarized or something like that, or witnessed, I finally had her on board to sign them. That was a big win. Don't forget, we also figured out that my sister wasn't stealing from my mom. So it was a very productive day. Super productive that day. I'm telling you those wins, man. I'm taking those wins. But still, I was not making those phone calls. I did send one of the lists to my brother and told him what we needed to do when calling each place. I was trying to divvy up the work and ask for help. 
that was a small win for me too. You know, he asked how quickly we needed to make the calls. I told him that we would fill out the applications and hand them all in within the next few months, but we should at least get an idea of what the process would look like within the next month or so. You know, that way we wouldn't be behind the eight ball, right? Maybe I wasn't rushing through it because I knew I didn't have to, and I needed a little break. I don't know. Sharing the burden also helped ease my stress a little bit, which is nice. Well, you know the little break that we thought we had? No, nope, nope, uh-uh, nope. Wrong. She had a little spill a few weeks later. Nothing broke this time, but she keeps falling. I mean, it's, it's crazy. I have to keep moving and keep my strength up. That's definitely an example. But anyways, around this time, she called me and, and actually said this to me. You're going to have a really hard week this week. And I was just like, what are you talking about? <laughs> my week should be halfway decent. <laughs> you know? She then said, well, I have to work on electing my Medicare or Medicaid for 2024. And you're going to have a hard time figuring it out. Within seconds... And with a level voice, I responded with, so you're going to have a hard week and this is how you're asking for my help. Do you think this is going to work out for you? <laughs> I'm such a smart ass. <laughs> she didn't have anything to say after that. I told her to send me the contact person's info for the rehab center so I could ask some questions about it because she wasn't making any sense. So... I just said, give me the person's information. I will make a phone call. I will try to figure this out. But, you know, comments like that remind me how thankful I am for all the work that I have done. <laughs> I didn't even break a sweat. I mean, I was just like, oh, no, you're going to have a bad week. <laughs> I'm chalking that up as another win. That's a win for me. A few days later, I got in touch with the correct person who talked me through the letter that my mom was talking about and what we had to do. Like I felt decently prepared to work through it. However, on the same call, I was told that she could no longer live alone. They were recommending around the clock care for her around the clock. I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I couldn't believe it. No one has said anything like that to us yet at all. So I, I kind of was like flabbergasted, you know, and she told me that it was updated that very day. So my mom was most likely going to be released from rehab soon. And someone is supposed to live with her or we're supposed to cover 24 seven care for her. That's not something that's provided by Medicaid or Medicare. By the way, not provided. I asked the woman, I was like, well, what are we talking about here? Like, how much does this normally run? Just to get an idea or to die, maybe. She said it's about 10 to $12 per hour in that area. And I was just like, what? I remember actually saying to her, oh my God, how can anybody survive on that? And oh my God, how the hell are we supposed to come up with that? You know, 
even at four hours a day, that's not something my stateside siblings and I can come up with. Because the bulk of it would be from me. Like, to be honest, the rest of the conversation is kind of a blur in my head. I went into stress mode, you know. I did tell her what our tentative plan was about getting on the waiting lists and all of that stuff. I then asked what would happen if no one could be with her and she fell and broke something major again. She said that if there was no one to help and she broke something else major, she'd most likely be put into a nursing home. That would be the death of my mom, like figuratively and literally. After it was printed on the death certificate, of course. For cause of death, they would say, she was in a state-run nursing home, duh. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but the reputations precede them, and it's definitely what Linda thinks. So, I was calm on the outside, but a little worried on the inside. I did end the conversation with the rehab person by asking for help finding someplace that may be able to take my mom. I told her that we'd start making the phone calls as well, but that we would need a ton of help on this. And if at all possible, I wanted to keep my mom in DuPage so she wouldn't have to switch doctors, you know, like that's important. So I think I then paced back and forth for probably 20 minutes and then I went back to work. So the next day I started to think about little things that might provide patches for the time being. What if we look for a place and line up all the backup services we could until we can get my mom in somewhere? What if my sister stays with her during the week and my brother and I take turns every other weekend? What if my brother moves home again until we got her somewhere because he's lived away for 30 years and now it's his turn to come home? All of these things were going through my head. What if the recommendation is for more care and we weren't able to provide that? Does that mean that backup services covered by Medicare and Medicaid would no longer be available? Like, how can we piecemeal this as long as possible? And what about that little voice in the back of my head saying, you all tried to help her six years ago to prepare for this, but she refused to acknowledge it and she refused help. Or that other voice that's even quieter that says... She was horrible to you. Why do you even care? Right? Here's the answer. And probably the answer to why I've had such a hard time getting stuff done. It's not that I don't care. I do. She is my mother. It's just that I'm having compassion for her even when I know she wouldn't for me. And that's it, isn't it? My true test from the universe. Can I? And will I? I'm actually crying. Can I and will I continue to have and show compassion towards her? Even after all the pain and the trauma caused by her, knowing that it will never be reciprocated. This might be the most important test I've ever taken, actually. My answer is yes. My answer has always been yes.
Nana has often described my mom to me as my cross that I have to bear. And I, I don't disagree with that. Right now, I'm trying to lay down the cross as gently as I can. And I think that the universe knows this, right? And I think it fully supports me because the very next day, Alden, the rehab center, called and said that a supportive living studio apartment is available for my mom if she wants it. 24 hours later, there was something available. It's a miracle. I mean, most places, six months, two years, three years, this was a miracle. I couldn't believe it. I was like, what? Oh my God. You know, this is a huge win and we're here for it. Maybe not Linda, (laughs) but I'll get into that in the next chapter. Anyways, this one was heavy. I'm totally crying. I was crying when I write it. I'm crying it now when I'm taping it. Jeez. I haven't even taken a gummy. What the hell? (laughs) Sorry, this is a heavy shit. Okay, so thanks so much for listening to episode 39 of Fixer Up. I know that I've aced this part of my test. And like I said, the universe knows it too. Not just at the end though, because we're not at the end yet. But all along the way, I've been looking for the positives. They're there even in all this shit. They're there. There's a hashtag that I've personally been using for years. I think I've mentioned it before. It's hashtag get it where you can, which to me is a reminder that there are positive and beautiful things all around me. My job is to see it, no matter how small. It keeps me going. So remember that. Look for the positives. Even the smallest ones matter. I hope you find some. If you like this episode, please hit the thumbs up, subscribe, tell your friends, and write me a review. If you'd like to get a hold of me, my socials are mkylieD and fix.her.up. Email is fixherup01 at gmail.com. Voicemail is 773-236-1112. Please check out my website. It's www.fixerup.net. Please check it all out and follow me. Thanks again. Papich. See you in a couple weeks.